Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. And this is your co-host, Zena Island. I'd like to welcome everyone to the show. We have a really, really good show today, so I hope, hope you're tuning in. Um, it's on storytelling and how women are reshaping the world. How women are reshaping the world. Today, we are joined by Jay Newton Small. Jay is a founder of Memory Well, a national network of more than 700 writers who tell the life stories of seniors to help improve their care. Previously, Jay was a Washington correspondent for Time Magazine, where she remains a contributor. At Time, she covered politics as well as stories on five continents, from conflicts in the Middle East to the earthquake in Haiti and the November 2015 Paris terror attacks. She has written nearly a dozen time cover stories and interviewed numerous heads of states, including Presidents Barack Obama and George W. Bush. That must have been exciting to get those stories. Oh my gosh. She authored the 2016 bestseller book, Broad Influence, How Women Are Changing the Way America Works. Before time, Jay was a reporter for Bloomberg News, where she covered the White House and politics. Jay received an MS in journalism from Columbia University and undergraduate degrees in international relations and art history from Tufts University. She is a 2017 Halcyon Incubator Fellow, a 2016 through 2017 New, fellow, New America Fellow, and a 2015 Harvard Institute of Politics Fellow. She is the 2016 winner of the prestigious Dirksen Award for Congressional Reporting and the 2016 Deadline Club Award for Community Service Reporting. Jay, we are happy to hear you on, have you on the show. I cannot wait to hear your story, although I have heard it a couple of times, and you didn't know that. And um, the reason why I'm saying is I ran into Jay uh, yesterday at an event, and she came up to me, and we talked, and I realized I did hear her story a number of times from pitch competitions. However, I was working them, mm -hmm. and because I'm working these pitch competitions for clients, I don't get a chance to really tune in to hear what they have to say. But I did listen in on the, you know, about the story and how you founded the company. And I did, you know, like, it, I, I, I immediately stopped everything, what I was doing, to hear about it because it personally affects me. So can you tell us a little bit about Memory Well and, you know, tell us about the story, how you founded it? Sure. Thanks, Zeno, so much for having me on. Um, I'm really excited to be here. So 
Um, Memory Well really began, as you know, with my, my caregiving story for my father. Um, my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was still a senior in college. He was 58 years old, so it was really early onset, and my mom cared for him for the first 10 years of the diagnosis, but like 40% of dementia caregivers, she actually died of the stress of caregiving. Um, she had a brain aneurysm in 2011 and died very suddenly. And that I'm an only child, so I became my dad's primary care caregiver at that point, and I took care of him for the last five years of his life. And a few years ago, um, I had to move him into a community. And when I did, they asked me to fill out this enormous, like, 20-page questionnaire. And I was sitting there kind of struggling to answer these questions, thinking, A, I was a writer with Time Magazine, and I challenge anybody to answer some of those questions well, like, describe your parents' 50-plus-year marriage in four lines. Mm -hmm. Um, and B, who was ever going to read and remember 20 pages of handwritten data points for the more than 100 residents in that particular community? To my mind, nobody. Um, mm -hmm. And so instead, I handed in the form blank and said, look, I just feel like it's easier for me and easier for you if I just write down his story. Um, and they were like, yeah, uh, okay, you're weird, but sure. <laughs> Um, and I did. It was like one page, double-sided. I printed it out, handed it out to all of his caregivers, and they loved it. They remembered it. They told each other about it. Um, two of his caregivers were actually Ethiopian, and they'd had no idea that my dad had lived in Ethiopia for four years early on in his career with the United Nations, and they became his champions. They would sit mm. for hours and ask him what it was like to work with Emperor Haile Selassie and what the Empress was like, and Dad loved it because he still remembered Africa pretty well at that point, even if he didn't remember last week week or last month or last year so memory well was born from that experience when was your dad was he now because my father was diagnosed with dementia mm -hmm. and then he was re-diagnosed with white matter disease which is a whole I don't know if you ever heard of it yeah yeah I've yeah. heard of it um, yeah and I've been trying to tell people about that disease mm -hmm. and we'll talk about that in a second but what what was your dad originally diagnosed of so he was the diagnosis was actually pretty quick for Alzheimer's mm -hmm. um okay. and uh and you know, we, it was weird because we have no family history of it, um, and but I think that's a pretty common misnomer for a lot of people, right? Because they think, oh, it's genetic, but actually, only a tiny percentage of cases in Alzheimer's and the 80 related dementias are genetic. Um, it's actually environmental, and we don't know what's causing it, which is terrifying because we don't know how to address this epidemic mm -hmm. at all, and there's no cure, there's no treatment even, um, and that's the only sort of you know, top 10 leading cause of death right now. It's the number six leading cause of death. It's actually going way up mm -hmm. versus all the other nine are going down as we've developed treatments for heart disease and cancer and things like that. So it really is becoming, I think, a huge epidemic because there's just no treatment for it right. and, and no understanding of what is mm -hmm. causing it. So, um, but we went right to Alzheimer's pretty quickly. Um, you know, we started seeing the symptoms about a year before he was finally diagnosed. They okay. did a lot of cognitive tests, and then um, the diagnosis was Alzheimer's from the get-go. From the get-go. Yeah, we're going through the cognitive test now. Um, my father got confused, and he was out one day, didn't know where he was, and I got a phone call, and we had to, you know, figure out and get him to the hospital, unfortunately. So, um, and then that's what he diagnosed with dementia, and then they test, we didn't, he got a, uh, MRI and it came back with white matter disease and those of you who do not know what white matter disease I've never heard of it and maybe you can help me with the explanation of it as well it's, I mean I don't know I don't know that well I know it's like one of the related dementias it's one of the yeah. related dementias it does start when you're older and you do need to pay attention to your parents when you just oh they're getting older they're forgetful mm -hmm. that's it you need to pay attention to that because that could be a sign of the beginning stage of 
Alzheimer's or dementia. So we're dealing with that now with my father. Mm-hmm. And um, you're right. You're, you, I'm, I'm learning every time because I go home. Now I'm my father's caregiver, long distance. I go home mm-hmm. every month, and I'm, I'm learning so much about him through these stories he's sharing. I'm like, okay, where did this come, where did this come from? Uh-huh. So this is how Memory Well was born. And mm-hmm. so what made you decide to turn it into a business? Well, it really just began as a project um, where I found, you know, this community, it's like a quote unquote community that he was in, but I found it really isolating. I mean, Mm -hmm. nobody knew anything about anyone. Like the staff didn't know anything about the residents, the residents and the families knew nothing about each other. And my dad had all these friends, essentially, right, in these communities. He had this buddy, Warren, who he would walk with every day, and the two of them would hang out all the time. And I, if I was going to hang out with my dad, I was sort of by default hanging out with Warren. And so I'd be like, hey, you know, what's the deal with Warren? I wanted to know from his caregivers because if I was going to hang out with him, I wanted to engage him because that's the best thing wow. you can do for somebody living with the disease is, is to really engage them improves, and improves their quality of life. And so the caregivers knew nothing about him. So then I asked permission to contact Warren's family because I was like, I want to know about Warren. And I did, and we ended up writing Warren's story. And then my dad had like a series of girlfriends, and so we wrote the girlfriend stories. And oh, wow. and the families really like loved the stories. They loved um, learning about each other. Um, I think it just formed an actual community where we would so it sort of say, hey, you know, if I can't visit Catherine today or my dad today, can maybe I'll bring a cupcake for Catherine if you can't make it, or can you, you know, hang out with my dad for a little bit knowing that I'm not going to be there and it it really helped I think and so um, it sort of just started as a project and then grew and grew Mm -hmm. and then finally by the end of 2016 we had um, a our first sort of senior living community say to us hey we'd like to actually pay you for these stories Um, you know like hire you and, and have you do them and so um, we kind of grew from there. We incorporated in the end of 2016. I was still covering um, the Hillary campaign for time. Um, I left just after the end of the election. I, I thought I was going to have to stay through transition, and then, and then I didn't need to. So uh, <laughs> um, we we all thought <laughs> we were going to be hanging around. Um, didn't quite turn out that way. <laughs> um, and so I, my dad had died that year, so I, I actually ended up going home for the holidays to Australia. He was originally Australian Mm. so I brought his ashes home and scattered them home to Australia and then I came back early in January 17 and that's really when we went full-time and started really working on the business full-time and so we now have it's been I guess just over two years almost two and a half years now and we have about 700 like you said uh, Mm -hmm. writers across the country work in about 50 senior living communities um, working with about a dozen companies some home care agencies some skilled nursing um, in about uh, 20 states so before you walk us through your pitch process and how you you've been raising funds talk a little bit about the business itself like how how can someone get involved with memory well? How how should they go about it? And then they just explain it to um, to us that way. Sure. So we work primarily B two B to C, which means business to business to consumer. Um, we sell directly to the companies of the senior living companies, and they hire us to tell their residents' stories or their the stories of their patients um, if they are at home care um, and or members if they're you know uh, we've actually started working with insurers for the first time or piloting with our first insurance companies. Um, and so 
Basically, um, but you can also buy us directly. So um, we've had a lot of people just hear about us word of mouth or mm-hmm. see us in communities and say, hey, I want one for my mom, even if she's not in that community and they're not paying for it. So, um, And you can just go directly to our website, sign up as an individual, and we'll do the story as well. Um, but I'd say the bulk of our, the vast majority of our business really comes through working directly with senior living companies. Um, and, you know, it's a slow process. These, these, these companies are not the most innovative places on the planet. Um, they, it's a really long sales cycle in senior living. It's usually six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they think that we really had to also learn how to accommodate them. They're very low tech. For example, um, a lot of the communities we work with don't even have Wi-Fi. And so wow. how do you, um, you know, load a digital platform without Wi-Fi, which is why all of our stories are printable. And you can print them into books or you can print them one page, mm. you know, put them in care plans, laminate them, put them up on walls, because we had to find ways to really make sure that these communities could actually use the stories, even if they didn't have the technology to do so. That is awesome. So when did you realize, okay, I have a real business now. hmm and I want to start raising funding because I know one of the things you've been doing is pitching. That's where, you know, mm-hmm. Christina Aurelia and I all uh, discovered you at some of these pitch competitions. I mean, when did you finally get to that moment mm-hmm. of like, I have a real business. Okay, I need to raise some funding for this because I'm, I'm sure it's been you who have been funding a lot of this business. Am I assuming in the beginning part? In the beginning, yeah. Yeah, sure. in the beginning. And then um, you're hiring all these writers to write stories, so you're mm-hmm. going to pay them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's amazing to me how people, how, how little people value writing sometimes. And people will say to me, oh, can't the writers do it for free? And I'm like, uh, no, (laughs) they need to eat and, you know, like get paid and raise, you know, like help, you know, provide for their families just like anybody else. Um, and so, um, we started the first year bootstrapping, um, obviously paying some degree things ourselves. We won a big pitch competition. Um, WeWork's Creator Awards, so we won $130,000 from WeWork. Oh, wow. Um, we did a big Kickstarter where we sold $77,000 worth of stories on Kickstarter, mm-hmm. so it was a great campaign. Um, and we, um, yeah, really bootstrapped, I think, the first year. And then the second year, we realized that we were in the place where we were starting to do a lot of pilots, because in healthcare, you do pilots. And even though the pilots are paid, they're not like, they're not a huge amount of money. And so we realized that um, the traction of the pilots was great, but like we needed um, money to raise money to sort of um, be able to hire and, and fill out the pilots and be able to like, you know, um, have the team to build the the, plat- the digital platform and, and build out um, the capability of, of really being able to uh, fulfill those big pilots. And so, for example, one of the big pilots was with Brookdale Senior Living, which is the largest provider of senior care in the world, actually, and it was a 20-community paid pilot. So, you know, we're going into 20 of their communities. That's hundreds of stories. It was, like, a lot of work, mm-hmm. so we needed to be able to hire to accommodate that. And so um, we raised a seed round um, in sort of... 2018 and into early 2019, we kind of raised half, and then because the operation side was so intense, we took a break and then kind of came back and raised the other half. And it was about $1.1 million seed round. Mm -hmm. Total, we raised about half a million in early 2018, and then another sort of 600,000 at the end of 2018 into early 2019. Um, And that was only from angel investors. And there's, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, I think, there are a lot of people who are very, passionate about mm-hmm. this space yes, um, because yes. they see the problems having to do with Alzheimer's and dementia and cognitive impairment. Our, our anchor investor 
is a woman named Dagmar Dolby, um, who was the widow of Ray Dolby, um, who was the founder of Dolby Surround Sound, and he had Alzheimer's. Um, and at some point, she wrote down his story for his caregivers to understand this man is a total genius. Like he created this amazing, you know, sound systems and um, and technology. Mm. And so don't talk to him like a baby. You know what I mean? Right. Like, which is a huge problem in this. That space, is a big right? problem, right? We infantilize yes. like these seniors. We think, oh, like they're like babies, and you you want to be like, oh, boo, 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 and like you're like, no, this like you be, treat him with dignity. You know what I mean? This is a this is a guy who's like an awesome, had a great career, and I, I have a lot of frustrations with that too. With my dad, is this like, you know, he was a diplomat with the United Nations for 40 years like don't baby talk him you know because that like. no you're right because my dad's an engineer uh, Ford Motor Company he was one of the first black engineers at Ford in Detroit yeah. and um, at first when everything happened I'm like okay let me help you pick up this let me help you zip. and he will stop me he was like stop treating me like a kid yeah yeah, and I had to watch myself with that. So totally. I'm sure you did. You get yeah, some of that at totally, all? and like, and it requires more patience, I think, because mm-hmm. you know, as caregivers, we want to like just get it done. You know what I mean? We're like kind of like let's just move it, and it's easier for us to kind of help. But at the same time, we have to realize that we're demeaning them. We're like mm-hmm. not giving them the opportunity to feel useful and to take care of themselves by kind of rushing them through this. And so I think it's super important to. Um, to really kind of let them live with dignity as much and as, as mm-hmm. possible for as long as possible and respect them as humans and and celebrate them as humans, right? Um, as, as people who have contributed, our, our elders, our seniors, enormous amounts to our society. And right. um, I think that's the... And so really, to some degree, the, the goal of the stories is for people to realize all of these amazing lives that are out there, these, like, everybody has a great story, right? Right, they do. And, like, and so, yeah, I think it's awesome to, to do that, to, 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 important to do that. And so before he jumps in, I have to introduce our fourth co-host, McKeever Matt Conwell. He's in the studio today. We're excited to have him. And, um, Mac, I know you want to jump in and ask a question. I did, and, and thank you for the introduction. So, Jay, this is an amazing story, um, being an investor in the DMV area, I've heard your story a few times, right? But you just mentioned something I wanted to go back to around the funding. You talked about before you raised your round, you did a successful Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs who want to do Kickstarters, who try to put them together, but they sometimes struggle to actually raise any significant amount of money. What was that process like for you? And what do you think that you did that made your Kickstarter successful? Oh, that's a great question. Kickstarter is brutal. And I think, you know, even for us, um, we, uh, like, um, struggled, you know, to really raise attention for it. And um, and I think it's a great place for things where you can sell, like, actual items, like if it's, like, a new corkscrew or a really cool, like, sleeping bag or whatever, because people want, like the cool thing, right? It's like, um, but if you're not selling something that's super tangible, it it can be really hard to, I think, break through in Kickstarter. Um, We we did, I'm lucky that I had a fairly high um, profile in journalism before coming into this. And so um, we got like, you know, we prepared before we launched like a huge sort of social media campaign where we had like great friends of ours tweeted out like Jake Tapper and Wolf Blitzer and like, you know, and um, and get like a lot of media attention. Um, And, you know, Chris Matthews, all these people sort of trying to get them to um, raise awareness of what we were doing, which was great. We also had... Um, a number of celebrity um, 
writers who one of the rewards was like a, a, a story written by your choice of a celebrity kind of journalist, whether it was, you know, Suzanne Malveau from CNN or Dana Milbank from um, the Washington Post. And um, all and these names I do recognize because, you know, I'm in <laughs> PR, so I recognize all these names. <laughs> And um, and so that was also a That's really cool. popular nice. option that people were got excited about, um, and I think helped also raise awareness. Um, and you know, we uh, so we 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 tried really hard to like um, stage. I think to get it trending, like we would mm-hmm. do kind of periodic um, throughout the thirty days, like uh, a really intense period, and for a few hours to like do a big social media push to make sure it would trend at some point, which would get another big sort of push of viewers into it. Um, we had hoped it was like sort of hard because we launched the fundraiser or the, the Kickstarter um, just after CBS Evening News had taped a segment on us. Mm-hmm. And so we were really hoping that that would run during that time period, um, which I think would have really helped as well. But then it ended up, it's the nature of news, you know, it just like Trump is just so dominated the news that month. Right, we can and, have like, a show on that on our own. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and it just kept like getting pushed back and pushed back. So it didn't end up running, um, while during the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. which sucked, but, um, but we did do a lot of media as well. And I had a lot of friends who were sort of like, yeah, Hey, I'll have you on oh, talk great. about it. So, um, so that sense, I think I was, I was lucky that I had, um, the contacts and I think the social media savvy to do it. It's hard though. And I think, um, it, it, like, Kickstarter, you think, oh, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be so cool. It was grueling. Those 30 days were, like, rough. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the mis- uh, misconceptions with Kickstarter. People think you just put it up and it happens, right? Yeah. Um, from my experience and what I've seen with companies, it usually has to be accompanied by what you mentioned, a very well-thought-out strategy of social media and PR over the lifespan of the 30 days, right? Mm-hmm. So every time you have a PR hit comes, you have a spike in donors versus, you know, I've seen people try to do it all at once, Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they get a big spike in the beginning and then it tails off. And they're like, where are the people coming? Well, you have to continuously feed the beasts, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every week you have to do something and, like, push it, push it. And so. Absolutely. And then, you know, the, 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 to stay on this, this track about funding, you mentioned you raised $1.1 million of funding, mm-hmm. which congratulations to you. That is amazing. You know, we all know the statistics of female founders not being able to raise a million dollars or raise funding at all, right? So that's... That's extremely, extremely successful. And, you know, congratulations to you on that. But we also know in that process that uh, female founders uh, face a lot of challenges mm-hmm. along the way. Some of that being um, the way they're mistreated or the kind of questions they get during those funding meetings. Mm-hmm. What are any of the horror stories you have from that time period of when you were trying to raise that money? So uh, there are, it's, a, it's actually a great question. I think. Um, we early on made the decision to only raise um, this round from seed, uh, the seed round from angel investors. Um, we had early talks uh, with venture capitalists, um, and there was we had a, a really tempting offer from a, a venture group in San Francisco to anchor the round if we would, you know, basically not raise, you know, instead of going from a goal of a million to raise instead three million to pull back from a B2B strategy and pivot to a direct-to-consumer strategy to incorporate AI and, like, machine learning into it, like, to, um, I mean, like, basically do not the business we were doing and do, like, a completely different business, right? And so, um, and we we were like, wow, I'm, you know, and I think Silicon Valley in general, um, Healthcare is is a little bit of a mystery for them. It's it's harder, you know. There's not a lot of 
Um, particularly in this space, caregiving seniors, like there's not a lot out there for that. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I think they also are um, a lot leerier of B2B versus direct to consumer. Like they're much more of a like, a, you know, go big to direct to consumer kind of place. And so um, we, we really thought about it um, over the sort of holiday period um, in the, you know, sort of December 2017 into January 2018. And then ultimately decided that we didn't think that um, it was the the right way for us to go, and that and that we wanted to really um, have the ability to explore the business um, and and explore the market and the time to do so without venture capitalists expecting 10x returns um, from us right away. And I think that that's the other thing is that people don't realize that this is a deal with the devil a little bit. And the minute you get that clock started, um, you are on that clock and you have to produce 10x returns. And they're like going to be sitting on top of you, being like, "Where's our money?" You know. Mm-hmm. And and um, and we knew that this is a market that's very hard to do that in. Right? Senior markets are just. Um, they're just becoming something that I think people are talking about and looking into as we fa- as we see this sort of wave of boomers retire. But um, it's still really nascent, and you know you see folks like David Thiel and you know Mark Andreessen talking about how the senior market is an interesting one for them now. But um, but back then, even in like 2017, it was still really you know nascent for people to talk about this. And, and especially me as a female founder, I would go talk to VCs in San Francisco and. Um, and they'd be like, A, I'm a female solo founder, being like, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very high touch. We're talking about using people and not robots or AI. And like, and the number one question I got was, how come you can't just get AI to write the stories? And I was like, um, and I was like, you know, Bloomberg invested like a billion dollars to try to get AI to write a really basic, you know, earnings return story, which is like the most basic press release that <laughs> companies put out. And it's super like formulaic, right? And they couldn't get that to work. Um, let alone the capturing the soul of somebody, which is what we're doing, right? Like it has to be really, you know, capturing this person who they are. I, it will be. I'm not saying it's never going to happen, but it will be not anytime soon that that's going to happen. Um, and and then also um, the idea of the senior space was a little bit like they kept saying, why can't you just sell to like their grandkids, you know, and do direct to consumer to their grandkids and like, um, and and we um, sort of. And it's been interesting, I think, in the last three years how much things have changed. You know, now, given what's happened with Facebook and their algorithms and their AI, a lot more VCs are like, oh, you use people. That's great. <laughs> you know, like, um, like that's, right. you know, that's that's an interesting business model now. And, like, and I think there is more interest in the senior space now. They're like, oh, for seniors, that's interesting, you know. And so I think the, the culture, and, and I think for female founders as well, there's more of a, like, um, you know, I, I in, the, in 2017, I actually did have at least two people say to me, "Oh, you know, don't you can't you get like a male co-founder?" And I was like, um, <laughs> "No." <laughs> like, uh, and um, and and so, like, th- I think that that's also changing at least a little bit the culture. There is certainly still a bro universe there. You know, we looked at one um, accelerator in health. Where literally the guys like spent, you know, my director of operations was on the phone with me when we were doing this sort of pre-interview, and they spent 25 minutes talking about football. I knew nothing about football, and then like at the end of this, they were like, "Oh yeah, I guess we should also talk about this like you know, women's startup." And I was sort of like, "It's not a women's startup. <laughs> like, it's you know, everybody will be dealing with caregiving issues. Everyone has parents. You know, this is um, this is something that's going to affect every American and." Um, it's not. It's not a women's thing. Ooh, that's uh, 
That's a horror story right there. But I wanted to go back a, a, a step because you mentioned something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs who want to have startups or, or the early stages of their startups don't understand. And um, when you get to the point, it's really hard to grapple. So you mentioned there was a VC who wanted to give you $3 million but wanted you to change your business. Mm -hmm. What was the pressure like going through that? And what were the conversations like you had with your team? Mm -hmm. And then for your team to ultimately decide to turn down $3 million. Well, it wasn't $3 million. So they wanted me to raise a seed round of $3 million that they would, million that they would lead. Um, and I think they probably would invest about a million to a million and a half. It's sort of standard to, to invest about 50% from like the, um, you know, the anchor. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a huge decision to make. I think we really thought long and hard about it and we, we really thought about, okay, what do we, where do we want to see the company in five years? Where do we see ourselves in five years? Our, you know, and I think a lot of, um, our hesitancy was sort of like, look, uh, we, I believe firmly that at least in this first iteration, I really wanted to, um, approach the health space. I think that. Um, healthcare is a bit of a tin man. There's no heart to it, and I think that that is one of the biggest problems facing healthcare today is that people don't know anything about their patients beyond their diagnoses. And I, I think that healthcare would be vastly improved if you could like put some heart into it and know who these people are. And like, and I think that um, across the board, and that's you know, and to some degree. Um, that's where we're moving towards um, across the healthcare and continuum is, is by telling these stories, but also disseminating data in different ways, right? Um, being able to collect this data on a very largely non-digital population, um, like, and then turn it into an algorithm that um, that can better improve their care, like turn it into something that um, that you can plug into other data sets like their electronic health records or like their sensor data if they're being monitored at home for falls or emergencies and really transform their care with the context of their life in that, you know. Um, and so, um, so, and I, having experienced this with my father and, you know, knowing that this was the driving impetus of, for me to start this company, um, I didn't want to just immediately pivot away to direct to consumer, um, and and I also didn't. You know, we talked a lot up to to our advisory board and to people who'd done startups in the senior space before, and this particular VC fund was like a powerhouse in marketing. Like they were some of the best marketers in the world, but um, and they were just convinced that they could like market to seniors no problem, like the way they could market a movie or like an Apple product, and like. And, and I was like, but the senior space is so different and so unique and it's, it's not the kind of space where you can just run a ton of commercials or get like a, you know, Kim Kardashian to use your product and like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, um, it's, it's a space that is a lot um, more specialized and it's just, it, it takes a different kind of, I think, approach and, and I think the most successful approaches have been a B2B to C where you get a name working with companies in the space already, whether it's like ARP or Kaiser Permanente or somebody else. Um, and then when they've seen you through there, they then begin to know you, trust you, and then might use you themselves somewhere else. And so they, and, and so we didn't also have a lot of faith in our conversations with them that they understood what it meant to really market to seniors. And so, um, and the more we sort of drilled down on it, the, the less comfortable we felt about having to drop everything, completely pivot our, our, you know, the progress we'd already made in senior care um, to 
do this completely different direction. And actually, we were really glad we didn't do it because the principal of the fund ended up dropping out of that fund like mm. six months afterwards. <laughs> and, like, so your intuition was right. Yeah, and we were like, oh, God, thank God we didn't do that. Um, so, <laughs> But it is, it's super hard because it's so tempting, right? Like when you have no money and someone's saying to you, we're going to give you all this money, it's like, wow, like that's amazing. And like this could totally supercharge our business. But I think awesome. really looking ahead to sort of what you envision yourself doing, like, did I envision myself being a tech CEO um, five years down the road? I mean, yes, part of what we do is tech, but I envision myself more as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And like, and and that was what I think I felt like to me was they were stripping out of it was the idea of the storytelling and like and turning it more into like these bells and whistles, like catchphrases that are so common in Silicon Valley of like, oh, we're going to use AI, we're going to use, you know, machine learning. And it's like, you know, and they were focusing on those catchphrases and not on the storytelling aspect. Right. Yeah, and I think it's so important that you stuck to what your vision was and your experience with your father, right? You knew what worked. It was the high touch. It was knowing. And so I want to go to kind of the, the talent aspect of this because you have a unique team in that you're hiring journalists, real true storytellers. So how is that process in terms of hiring them, recruiting, retaining them, and getting them to not only buy into your vision but mm -hmm. execute it the way that you saw? Sure. It's actually been super easy to recruit them. Um, we haven't done anything like a big push to recruit. People just hear about us and they apply directly under our website. Um, and we are constantly, like they're just constantly applying and it's sort of amazing um, that they find us. I think there's a desperate, a desperation, unfortunately, for freelance writers in America mm -hmm. right now because journalism is declining because there are so fewer and fewer paid journalism jobs that people are always looking for work. They're hungry for it. And um, we base our, our model um, ultimately when we do start recruiting, because we will need to as we scale, but we base our model off of um, a, a startup called um, Scripted.com. And so Scripted was um, started by um, this uh, group of script writers out of uh, uh, originally LA, but then basically Silicon Valley. And um, with the idea that they were going to create a marketplace for screenwriting, turns out there's not that much interest in screenwriting, but there was a lot of interest for corporate copy, right? So, um, you know, companies looking for um, writers to copy edit or to write press releases and prospectuses and, you know, things like that. And so um, they really quickly in five years scaled to about 100,000 writers um, and wow. producing millions of pieces of content. Um, and they only accepted 20% of the writers that applied. And we've, their founder is now one of our advisors, and um, and he's really helped us sort of think through our back end and how we recruit and how we we've automated the whole system. So when an, when a writer applies, so we are using technology. We are using technology, <laughs> and I'm not going to say we're not a tech company. Right. We are a tech company, and I think, you know, we do use algorithms. Mm -hmm. We you know we do use AI now. Um, but to operate the business, not necessarily to execute on the part that really needs the human touch. Yeah, exactly. But you know, but I'm not replacing humans with yes. technology in this case, I'm just making it easier for them to do what they're doing, right? And to and making the process easier for us to like automate the system of assignments and connections between families and writers. So now when somebody comes in and the writer um, submits their clips, like it automatically gets sent to other writers who then evaluate them, give them a score. All of our assignments are based off of those scores. We really we reevaluate the score after every story. The same thing for editors. You know, we do the, the, a similar process. Once um, they're in our system, the stories are assigned by geography and scores. Um, we try to match. I mean, we can do most of our stories virtually, but we mm -hmm. try to match culturally. Like there's a big difference if you're going to be doing an interview of like, 
you know, a woman in Mississippi, mm -hmm. like in the interviewers, like a, you know, evangelical Lutheran from Nebraska, right. it's like, you know, it's probably better to have somebody from like the South interview exactly. this woman, right? Like, and so um, we try to sort of assign them by geography as well as um, by score. It automatically gives the, you know, the, the best writer, right, a first refusal. Um, it, if, they ref if they turn it down, it goes to the next best writer until they actually, the writer is, um, accepts the assignment. Then, um, then when they accept it, they're, you know, an, an automatically generated email goes out and connects them via Calendly and says, hey, you know, um, like family, you know, this is your writer, like, uh, you know, you've got, you can arrange a time that's convenient for you on this Calendly system with your writer. They'll do then the interview, um, you know, and then, and then they'll write the story. The story then gets automatically put through our system where it gets sent to an editor. So all of this is like, we don't have to touch it anymore, which is great because in the beginning we were like hand assigning people, you know, and trying to figure out and that just took a lot of manpower, right? And so being able to have this all automated has just been awesome. Um, and I think it also, you know, really helps us data-wise improve our own systems and our functions and see, okay, like in this story process, what's taking the longest, you know, you know, why, what's the hurdles here, what are, you know, how do we smooth that out that system and, and really being able to sort of in our processes help us refine the, our systems to make it a much smoother system overall and, and continue to iterate that. So, um, so yeah, I'm not going to say we're not a tech company for sure. I mean, especially now as we move more towards the data side of things and people were in our first discussions to buy data from us, right? And, and that's, um, at first, uh, you know, as a journalist who covered the 2016 campaign, got hacked by Russia, you know, <laughs> I was like very much like, no, I don't want to use, I don't want to create algorithms, I don't want to use data. But now I, I really do begin, I'm beginning to understand the power of how the, th the information we're connecting, collecting can really change outcomes. So for example, we're in talks to work with an insurer um, out in California who is really focused on social determinants of health. So that other 70% of you know, health, um, like 30% of our health outcomes come from what happens clinically, from our doctors and in hospitals or in care settings. The other 70% is like the rest of your life, right? right? And so, and and I think there's been a big push in healthcare in recent years to try to understand, well, what is that other 70%? And some things providers can't do anything about. Mm -hmm. If you live in a zip code where there's a lot of shootings, like they're not gonna be able to probably do a lot about like that. I mean, they can advocate for better gun control, but like, so can we all, and it doesn't right. seem to go anywhere. Um, Whole another show on that. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but, what, but like this particular insurer is developing algorithms for each of their members that then takes their electronic health records and whatever social determinants of health they can collect and turns it into an algorithm that then they try to better predict outcomes and impacts and try to better anticipate them. Very interesting. And, um, and, then, and they've had really great success with this. They've been able to, for example, if you live um, you know, three bus rides away from your dialysis, uh, but there's like another dialysis center that's maybe five miles farther away um, that does free Uber rides, like mm. connecting them with resources they may not realize exist that might facilitate their care in ways that like, so, you know, they're, they're much more likely to go to dialysis if they take the Uber versus the three bus rides, right? Um, so finding free resources at this point, right. even better connecting them with those resources, understanding their universe of where they live, their challenges they face. Do they have a car? Do they own their own home? Like, you know, do they live with other people? Like, you know, children, spouses, caregivers, or do they living alone? All of these things are huge factors into what um, determines their health, frankly, and we collect those factors, right? Like, the, that's by nature, our stories help, like, look at, um, you know, 
who they are, whether they went to college, if they own their own home, things like that. Those are natural questions we ask. And so that, that data is super appealing to um, a lot of those folks in the social determinants of health space. And that's um, sort of our next steps of where we're looking at going as, as we collect this, this data. So I find that very interesting because when you started all this, it was just because of the forms mm -hmm. that you had to complete. And yeah. then, you know, and so you just created all these stories around the different um, people you've interviewed. Mm -hmm. And now this has turned into a, perhaps a second business for you. What, you've, you've raised a, you know, a good seed round. You've had a successful Kickstarter campaign. I mean, what, is your, what is your biggest challenge right now? Because it sounds as if things are moving along really well. You're winning pitch competition. <laughs> so what, what are your challenges right now? Um, you know, we've got like a decent runway, but you know, we're still in the paid pilot phase with healthcare, and these pilots take a really long time, whether it's with insurers or whether it's with senior living. So we're in the phase where we're like on the cusp of knock on wood, like you know, signing these contracts that will, um, I think, and you know, hopefully be the next phase of our business. And it's just such a long process, though, and we are just nervous that like um, it may take longer than we have runway for, right? And and we might have to bridge, which would be really worrisome. Um, we, we just we it's it's the process in selling into these aspects of healthcare is just a very very slow, and it just takes a long time. And so um, we are really hoping to sign these contracts. That's our big, um, you know, sort of turning them into, you know, and at least they're paid pilots, right? Like, so the companies have some buy-in. A lot of companies, you know, a lot of startups suffer from, like, having to do, like, a ton of unpaid pilots, and then they, like, go bankrupt, you know, doing all this work for free, and, they, and people never sign on. So at least for us, they're somewhat paid um, and 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 that like we know we have buy-in from these companies because they've paid us at least a little bit amount of money, not as much as we'd like, but but we need to turn those into contracts. And once we do, and we th those would be big contracts, we would start to scale. And so we're, those would start to look at tens of thousands of stories annually, um, and then we would move to do a Series A. Um, and so that's sort of where we are right now, just sort of trying to convert those con those paid pilots into the contracts and like and pushing to do so and negotiating those contracts with the, these companies is like a whole other beast what can our listeners do to help you as you go to this next phase sure i mean so we always appreciate warm introductions to senior living communities um the best way into a senior living community is to have a family of a resident say, hey, I heard about this thing. I really want a story from my mom. I want my dad. I really want to try this out. Um, like, so anyone who has a loved one in a senior living community, like, please, like, contact us. You know, we're happy to, you can find all of our contact information on our website, which is memorywell.com. Um, so give us referrals to these companies if you know anyone who works for senior living or home care um, or retirement communities um, or insurers. Those are the people we're working with now. Please, like, let us know, and uh, and 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 you know, like that, that. Those kinds of warm introductions are really valuable. Um, and then also, really, anyone who has a family member who needs their story done, and um, who, you know, is it doesn't. They don't necessarily have to be in care. Uh, a lot of seniors that we that come to our website are just sort of like, hey, you know, my dad fought in World War II, and he has all these great stories, and I'm just worried that, like, you know, we're not going to, um, every Thanksgiving, I think, man, I should really write these things down, and then I don't, and so, um, so a lot of people find us that way, too. They just want help, like, capturing those stories, and, and, and we found really, so each, each of our page, each of our digital platform has really evolved from being just the, a place where we post the stories to, which are very static. Once we've written them, they're all sort of relatively short, less than 800 words. Um, 
so you can print them out one page double-sided um but we've a lot of families kind of said to us, well, you know, this is great. We love the story, but it's short. And when we send them to our extended family and friends, like they want to add to them. Like Uncle Joe wants to add the time when they went ice fishing in Michigan and whatever hilarity ensued. And so we've built out these timelines um, to allow families to add in all that other stuff that they see us missing. So, you know, photos, music, movies, and we send engagement prompts to sort of, and we're actually in the process in the next month of relaunching that platform and um, do almost gamifying it in a fun way. Um, and, and that way, um, you know, families really, it's, the stories become the beginning of a much larger conversation rather than the end of it, right? And so it's sort of like, but they see all the other questions. They're like, but wait, but what about this? And where were you at the end of World War II? Or where were you during the moon landing? Or where were you at these different moments in time? And I want to know, what do you know about your grandparents and your other, you know, parts of history? Like, um, all of that is like stuff that, that families start to really question and, and engage with. And I think it's really fun because they, it becomes this much larger conversation and it's really, um, special. You do find out a lot about your parents um, in these stories. Like, I didn't know my dad was about to serve in Vietnam War. I had no idea. I didn't know he was in the military. I just happened to ask one day, because somebody said, well, you know you can get him some, you know, um, military, uh, you know, help. You know, there's a lot of money out there. And I was like, my dad wasn't in the military. Mm -hmm. And my mom sits up there and she said, my my parents are divorced. She said, yes, he was. (laughs) I was like, what? So I want you to do a story on my father. My father's very private, so <laughs> we're learning things as we go along about him. Like, okay, I didn't know this, I didn't know that. So, yeah, yeah I would like to have you do a story of my dad. Love that. Yeah. yeah, and um, let us know how else we can help you because I know we got to wrap up soon. And mm-hmm. uh, just let us know how the co-host, how this show can help help you. I in any way. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we will be looking for investment again soon. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> okay. um, you know, I think you, know, you say that you've closed around, but I think you never really close, right? Like, I think if somebody yeah. called us up today and said, hey, we want to, like, invest in you, I'd be like, okay, let's talk, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, you know, we definitely... Um, especially as we worry about, you know, like our runway and as we're waiting for these big pilots to, to finish and, and move through, um, it's always great to have more cushion. So, um, and right now we're a deal because we're, you know, we're still at a 4 million valuation cap and like the next round will bump up to a much higher valuation cap. And so, um, and so you'll get a lot more equity if you, <laughs> at this point, if you do end up investing um, now. And so, um I think that and like um, there was something I was going to say about your dad and I'm just trying to remember what the point was about making it. Oh, I think that just this is kind of not on this is not on the on the help front, but I do think that people don't realize how hard it is and how, you know, to tell stories like I think that there's like a lot of do it yourself products out there for our our competition. Right. And and like when you're looking at like a blank like kind of sheet of paper and you're like where do I even begin you know to summarize or to start with this man who for me my dad like you know was such an important force in my life had all these amazing stories like you just don't even know where to begin it's overwhelming it's scary and I think having somebody else come in and interview you or like interview them um, to have that sort of step back um, it makes the process fun for you, like because you then you know can just talk about it and just sort of riff, and it's almost cathartic. It's like a therapy session, and it's fun for them. It's also we found that that they will say things to a writer 
that they won't say to their family members, right? Because there's like a hesitancy to tell some family members things. They don't want to bring up like issues. They don't want to like start conversations. But like a writer doesn't know all of those other issues, doesn't, doesn't know all those other things. And this is something that they think, oh, it'll go, you know, later or maybe, you know, it's there's a distance to it that I think a space that that really, for, to me, people say, why do you need writers? And I'm like, in large part because of that, because that, that distance in that space and because it, they are so much more efficient at summarizing a person's life that they're trained to do um, versus like kind of people, families muddling through it. And those products are so uneven. Like some people write like 10,000 words and other people write like 500. And how do you sort of square it away? How do you, you know, for us, it's like a very standard product. It's like very easy to sort of digest. And we've really tried to like make it as simple as possible to engage with it. And so yeah, that was just the point I wanted to make. No, no, great, because I would love to, have, he'll be here in next month. Great, <laughs> I could do it in person. And we can do it in person, <laughs> and I can kind of get him prepped for it, because I'm going to have to really talk him into it, but I would like for you to do that. Awesome, yeah, we love that. Well, thank you for joining us on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here, and I, like I said, I, I got a chance to meet you in person and really yeah. talk to you yesterday at the event when you came up to me. Um, and introduced yourself, and I know you didn't know who I was, yeah, so yeah. that's okay, because I'm always, I like to be the behind-the-scenes girl. <laughs> I try to be. Uh, I got Christina and Aurelia and Mac always trying to pull me out front all the time. <laughs> so you, I know you mentioned on the show a few times, and I can tell you're a journalist, because you mentioned your website a number of times, <laughs> and we tell people all the time you need to do that. Um, mention your website. How can we find you? You can mention it one more time on, on Instagram, Facebook, or wherever else you are. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, so we're um, our website is memorywell.com, all one word, just memorywell. Um, it is a play on words. Like It's both the idea of remembering things well, but also like the idea of a well of, a well of information, like drawing water, drawing life, um, that kind of thing. And so... Um, uh, a well of memories, right? A wellspring. And so um, on Instagram, we're memory well, uh, the memory well. On uh, Facebook, we're memory wells with an S. Um, uh, and Twitter, we're memory well, just uh, the, the word itself. So find us on any of these platforms. Uh, there are, there's a contact sheet, you know, for us. You can contact me pretty easily. I'm just J at memory well <laughs> and super easy. Um, and uh, we'd love to hear from, from anybody interested. Like, um, we really... Uh, as a growing business, you you want to sort of um, like get people engaged on any level, and 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 we hear from so many people who are going through I think similar caregiving you know issues, and I I really always try to make a point of telling my caregiving story because I feel that unless we're really open about like what we need and how hard it is, we're never going to get the resources that we need, and so I always like love people to share, and we also have a news site um, called Memory Wall News for the Ages, and where we share a lot of those caregiving stories and also has a lot of resources for caregivers. So if you are a caregiver yourself, go to news.memorywell.com and, um, and there's a huge sort of amount of resources of like, you know, either um, like group caregiving uh, activities or um, what's going on policy-wise on the federal level or state by state and like resources for caregivers um, from different kinds of foundations and associations. So there's just a ton of information on there for folks because we felt like we've heard from so many people that it's just they, there's not enough information out there and it's really needed. Thank you so much, and uh, I really appreciate you being here. And um, like I said, I do not stop for e anyone and everybody when I'm working, but when I heard your story at Her Impact, 
I stopped dead in my tracks, and I was like, who is this? So, <laughs> Thanks so please much. continue the good work that you're doing. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And that's it for another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. Um, you know where to find us at www.getfoundgetfunded.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us.